I guess we just begin. This is a new beginning. This is a sort of a new direction. Um, uh, most of you have probably heard me before and know I'm Shumanitu from Bands of Turtle Island or Zikato. Um, obviously, or maybe you know me from the Red Nation or many other podcasts I've co-starred on or whatever the fuck you want to call it, collaborated with. Um but this is our new project as a collective um, known as the Chunkaluta Network Podcast or Chunkaluta Red Road, um, which I'm going to explain because obviously I would imagine a lot of people have never heard that. Um, and with communists, you hear red and you immediately assume communists, which is sort of the entendre we're going for right but um you know the red it's talking about more about the red people or whatever you know it's a philosophy of lakota culture which i'm oglala lakota uh, i'm from pine ridge reservation um where porcupine creek meets porcupine butte um <laughs> like to straight up dox myself you know, if you'd like to come see the project, there it is. It's yeah. <laughs> exactly how you get there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, today, uh, I've brought on several people who came and met in person. You know, I've gone around the country for about three years now, meeting various cadres and organizers, um, old and new of all kinds of stripes and just regular people learning about the conditions of the United States and reservation communities, uh, most importantly to me. But it's important to remember that 75% of indigenous people live within the city. When discussing land back, it is not enough to expand the reservation. We must transcend the reservation. And so that's what this project is. It's the road we plan to walk towards sovereignty. Um, towards revolution. Um, and uh, there's even a nice little theme song that I didn't write. It's an old song. We sing it at the end of every round at Sundance, um, right before we smoke the chinupa. The chinupa is what white people lovingly call the peace pipe. <laughs> um, and to us, it's one of the most powerful objects on earth. 
Um, the government's even ran tests on it to try to see how it works because they do not understand how the fuck we keep doing what we do. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm proud to say I come from those traditions and my hope is to synthesize my people's needs with a revolutionary program towards national liberation that can set forward a domino effect and open up opportunities for other nations colonized by the United States to gain liberation themselves. Um, that being said, let me play you my uncle's recording and he'll even explain what the Red Road is. This song is about the Chankuluta, the Red Road. And the words to this uh, song is a very simple song, you know. I heard this song and it really, really uh, interests me, you know, because uh, how they put the words in, you know. And uh, when we walk the red road, you know, some of us think the red road is hard very hard but it all depends how you make your red road whether it's you make it wide or narrow you know but to me I walk the red road and it's a good red road I love the red road you know it make it changed me and it brings me many good things in life you know so when I hear this song you know this song it, it really interests me you know and uh, I always uh, give Wopila, like every day, every evening, and prayers. But anyway, this uh, uh, words to this uh, song is, I'm walking on the red road. Grandfather, I thank you. I pray to you with this Chanupa. Grandfather. Grandfather. Thank you. And those words, you know, those words itself, it really... Like it put, it put a, a spiritual awakening in those words like that. Oh, 
So, you know, as you heard, the Red Road doesn't have to be this narrow ethno-nationalist dream of an only Lakota land. You know, our Red Road can be as wide as we want it to be. Many people can walk with us down it. What matters is, is when it comes time to cross into the new world, 
that you will help us build that bridge, that you won't stifle our freedom, that you won't try to dictate to us what we need for freedom, that you will listen and humble yourselves to know that we have an effective program developed over centuries now of praxis that has been continued to this day. There is a revolutionary movement that the communists do not understand that has been continued under, you know, the watchful eye of the government and reservations and has led the largest upheavals in history and several of which were completely nonviolent yet galvanized more uh, people to move such as no DAPL theoretically with those numbers and a plan of action that allows for arming when necessary. Theoretically, we could have our own nation with power derived from the barrel of a gun. We already have power. We plan on claiming it, and we will hold it. Communists can be a part of that project, or they can stand by and tail it. I plan on leading it. (laughs) And not like, oh, I'm going to take over. It's more like I'm going to help synthesize an actual fucking project. And that's what we're doing here. So um, these three people, uh, if you could introduce yourselves, your name, where you come from, and why you wanted to initially spend your own money coming to Pine Ridge Reservation, the poorest place in America. I'll go first. Uh, I'm I'm Dragos. I'm uh, I'm from Romania originally. Born in Craiova, and uh, I live and I organize in in Toronto. Um, so uh, we met me and uh, Shuman too, um, just in like online like Twitter DMs. I think you know me following uh, what was it at the time the Bands of Turtle Island uh, Twitter, and uh, I messaged them and uh, and Chip here actually who was working over in Vancouver at the time because I just saw, you know, like a similar uh, type of worldview and ideology from from the three of us and, you know, moving forward. So I was, you know, impressed by what you all two were, were already doing. And, you know, I was kind of doing my own thing here. So I've been organizing with a group called the Eco Just Food Network, uh, which is has kind of like a, a food sovereignty uh, initiative. So you know, working in food sovereignty in in Toronto, Canada, is not you know too uh, far. You know, you get into indigenous food sovereignty pretty quickly. You know, that's that's what food sovereignty here is. So that's kind of how I came to you know uh, that that worldview or that ideology is kind of like how do we how do we get this this food sovereignty thing actually going? You know, and what would uh, sovereignty for these uh, various nations on you know on this continent look like and uh, you know you were already busy doing that work so that's why i wanted to link up in the first place um and well for one you you i think we all kind of came for this reason but i mean i'll let the other two speak for themselves but you said it was important to come and that is you know you would um get something from it that you couldn't otherwise get right you couldn't read about or or hear about that you know you got to just come and do this got to have this experience for yourself and that you know and you didn't really say much uh <laughs> you know before before that but um 
but yeah, so like working for me in, in, in food sovereignty. So I've been doing, I've been organizing, you know, in, in this food kind of sphere for a while. And then I also kind of recognized housing as, you know, they're like major issue here in the city and just like another way that settler colonialism kind of, you know, affects the way everyone lives here. Um, and the situation for housing here is that, you know, there's a lot of homeless people in Toronto and, uh, you know, violent response to that from, from the city and, uh, you know, and housing is just generally super expensive, not affordable. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a terrible place to live right now. So, you know, I've been organizing from that perspective of like, uh, in, you know, trying to do this food sovereignty thing, but from kind of like the, the heart of the, the imperial metropole here in, here in Canada, at least, which is Toronto, where a lot of the mining companies, you know, trade their stocks and a lot of Canadian capital kind of, you know, has its focus here in Toronto. So you kind of see that in, in the material conditions of, of people in the city. Um, so, yeah, so I, I wanted to go with you to, to Pine Ridge because uh, I wanted to see like a different way of living. And, uh, you know, we, when in like the Eco Just Food Network, we, you know, people are always saying, you know, I work with a lot of people who are like always saying like, there's a, you know, better world is possible. is like a, a thing you often hear. Right. So, uh, getting you know the a chance to experience like a different way of of living you know people who live with a different set of relations to the land and and to food uh so these you know these primary things concerning me here uh you know it was a hard thing to pass up for me so i took the chance uh to come out and plus i wanted to meet you um i was going to mention uh well ask i guess um, ask and mention that you were once part of the uh, Communist Party of Canada, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess let me ask. I mean, for you and Chip, you know, why would you leave? You know, the National Party, you know, and join what is often misattributed as an ethno-nationalist movement in regards to land back. You know, like what? What drives a person who's not indigenous to support our cause, actually? Well, I, I came to the Communist Party just like through my own work and my own, you know, reading and kind of like trying to put theory into practice. Um, so I was like, okay, I kind of see the idea behind why you would need a Communist Party, right? From lead, from reading, you know, Lenin and and whatnot. Um, but then, you know, joining it, you know, like in reading the actual policies, you know, there was things that we were trying to fix, you know, and, you know, you try to do that from the inside, you try to do it through, you know, the channels that are available. But uh, especially when it came to the settler colonial question, there was kind of a, a refusal to, to budge on that. And there was already kind of like a push inside the party that was being rejected even before I, I came to the party. And, you know, I was trying to kind of connect my plan at least was to connect them to this like indigenous food sovereignty and just like indigenous sovereignty in general uh, movement and an, an analysis that takes that into account, you know, our actual material relations. Um, so that was like one of the big, you know, bulwarks that I had to get over. But then, uh, you know, when everything happened with, uh, you know, it was like the, uh, the harboring of a sex pest and everything came out in the party, you know, and it went really high up. So 
at that time, I think that was around the time when Chip and I both, you know, handed in our uh, resignation letters or whatever at the time, because uh, that was kind of like the cap to it all. But the, the, the move to kind of like address the seller colonial question was already really being harshly resisted from the, from the top down in the party. So I, I kind of felt like their analysis was lacking, you know, in the first place. It was very much focused on like imperialism out there. Trade um, unionism dividing up the Oh, sport. yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. And, you know, raising funds and running people in elections a lot, uh, but not really doing much, uh, you know, work on the ground, um, not really helping people out like in the city. Uh, and we're, like I said, we're in a city that got a lot of people that really need help. Um, and like, and like I also said, there's a lot of money here. So there's, you know, there's money to help. There's, there's numbers to help. There's people, but they're, you know, focused on putting their efforts somewhere else because their analysis is incorrect to begin with. So I was trying to fix that, but when everything happened, you know, last year or whenever that was, that's when I was like, you know, I'm moving on from this and I'm, I'm taking other people who have learned the same lesson here as I have. And uh, I'm going to organize with them from here on out. And Chip is one of those people. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, and I guess, you know, this is a perfect time to move on to Chip. So since we said your name a million times, would you like to introduce yourself, what you do in the Junkaluta network and how you came to be a part of it and these politics in general? Uh, sure. So, hi, I'm Chip. Uh, I'm from the Vancouver area, like, born and raised. Uh, really, like, kind of how I got to the, the realization that the decolonial stuff has to come before, oh, we're going to build communism. I... After leaving the party, I really started thinking, hey, over there in Seattle, it's way more similar to Vancouver than we are to like Alberta. So why are we organizing on a like cross Canada level? That doesn't that doesn't make any fucking sense. And uh I think we got in an argument on Twitter and I was like, Oh, okay, I, I understand. You and me? Yeah. Yeah, about Van- uh, not Vancouver, but Quebec, I believe. Yeah, and I still have bad opinions on Quebec, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take that out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, part of the reason I wanted to go down to Sundance is because I go to Sweat Lodge and everyone I sweat with like goes to Sundance every year and helps organize our Sundances out here. So I was like, well, I got to see that, you know, but then also just. It should be noted that Sundance isn't necessarily an open practice. Right. So even like the Sundance y'all experienced is a very informal one. Right. Um, David, like a real Sundance is ran with three chiefs. And um, and similar principles to our oral history teachings, right? It's so that way, when you're presenting, they can challenge when you're wrong and then correct it for the record publicly, right? And in a discursive tradition, 
Um, and oftentimes white people are not welcomed at Sundance. The reason why we let anybody come to our Sundance is because um, our altars passed down from Fool's Crow, who continued the Sundance in secret in the Badlands, while the church ran one with the Red Clouds, who are also our cousins, you know. And they uh, um, told us that when we carry this forward, we need to reach all four corners of the earth so that way, you know, we can actually begin healing the planet and see the world our elders told us about. Um, this all comes from the seventh generation prophecy of Crazy Horse, where it um, talks about the destruction of the white world being brought on by themselves and that indigenous knowledge of medicine will help people survive that climate collapse. Um, and we see that as the end of this world, um, which is to us, the fourth world, um, oddly enough, <laughs> but you know, um, this gets back into that. We watched a major flood destroy ways of life, um, which was from, melting of icebergs obviously we watched the not icebergs but um ice sheets and um glaciers we watched the glaciers move in uh, and before that we say the world was destroyed by fire i would imagine that there was a huge wild fire right and that's probably when we learned you should rake the forest you know <laughs> to quote trump <laughs> I was wondering about <laughs> you know, uh, to be very, you know, um, blase about it or, you know, reductive. Uh, but like Australia, you know, they, they do controlled burns and stuff for a long time and their culture is 85,000 years old, you know? So there's a lot to consider in this stuff. Um, and just thought I should bring that up with regards to a white guy saying, I should go to Sundance. <laughs> not everybody should go to Sundance. It's not necessary. It's just some people need to see it. And for this, there's no other way to explain how you're helping, you know, unless you see it for yourself, how you, you heal the people, you know, like we, we helped 200 plus people pray, you know, in their traditional way. That's incredible. And we're only going to help even more as we improve the grounds and more. And like when you're there, you can feel that, like how it's helping and the power of that really it's, uh, it's something you got to experience. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else interesting to say about myself. I think we should pass it on to the old man over there. All right then. Hi, uh, I'm Jason. Uh, I'm from near the Bay Area. Uh, I haven't ever been involved in an actual communist party, um, but I've been involved with groups like he's an Food anarchist. Not <laughs> God damn it! Been involved with groups like Food Not Bombs and uh, police and prison abolitionist movements. Um, well, what we should say with that is that we are non-secretarian, so to say. We maintain a Marxist-Leninist principle of unity, you know, but anarchists are welcome as long as they recognize the need for a post-revolutionary state to transition to socialism. 
you know, like that's just reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I would love for us to be able to organically somehow have that society, but no, it's not going to happen, especially not in time, given the, you know, climate apocalypse that we're faced with. Um, But um, yeah, uh, how I came to more uh, radical politics, per se, was... Early on, um, learning about uh, AIM and Leonard Peltier from my parents and my stepdad, who's Navajo. AIM. Why do white people do that? Just AIM. AIM. <laughs> I don't know the proper nomenclature. I'm sorry. We, we, every, every, uh, what's that called? An acronym? Mm-hmm. They're all words. So, like, yeah. the ICWA, we say ICWA. Okay. Everything is a word to us. I don't know why. No, that that's that, that, that's good good to know. Um but uh uh oh and then more recently uh obviously witnessing the you know rise of Donald Trump and the absolute fucking failure of any sort of like electoral movement to counter that uh the the kneecapping of the sanders campaign uh the fucking uh <laughs> my the free kitchen that i've helped work for uh getting kicked around both literally and figuratively by the local police the response to the black lives matter protests uh, in 2020 just a lot of things have uh had me looking for for something some something to put my experience and what little skills I have uh, to better use. Um, Because yeah, I recognize that we're running out of time. And I mean, I live in a place where there's like more unhoused people per capita than almost anywhere else in the United States. So that's where a lot of my focus was and just realizing that, we're not going to get to a place to meaningfully help the majority of these people who are also victims of, you know, an internal form of like colonialism and imperialism themselves. Which is gentrification. Gentrification. Yeah. That's literally just it. it, Colonialism turned inward. There's no place left to colonize, but ourselves. Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that um, because it's colonizing like an internal nation, like a usually black nations and stuff like that. It's usually capital. I mean, now it's starting to get to Appalachia and stuff like that. Um, But there really is a fundamental difference between like how Ann Arbor forced most black people into Ypsilanti. And then now over polices the Ypsilanti border, you know, like, it becomes very obvious once you start thinking in terms of occupancy when you go, oh, that's a fort around Mm -hmm. a black reservation, essentially. Like Detroit's 85% black, but the suburbs are a bunch of white people. So they're containing, you know, an undesired population, to quote a fascist, you know, um, which fascinates me to say the least, but then going out West, you know, um, just driving to a friend's place uh, in Berkeley. Right. Uh, I think it was on eighth street or something like that in Berkeley that I like, uh, it just, 
all the way down, you know, like a little town in the middle of town for tents. And it's like uh, a lot of times these people will be around the post office because that's like the most publicly accessible land. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> post office down uh, downtown near my house, uh, they literally put up a bunch of like spike topped fucking yeah. iron fences. Yeah. That's what to, they have there, too. To, to to cut off the whole like promenade outside the whole like the steps and the the overhangs and every the like the entire exterior of this big like nice little like roman column post office building and it's just surrounded by this big fuck off fence and, well, right and they still yeah. congregate ar- i don't know if it's the same down there but oh yeah no they camp on the sidewalk around. out right outside that fence and uh like uh i wanted last well this spring to go out there um but complications made that impossible. And then we ended up just giving the money to the local people. Um, and uh, what we were going to do is a hygiene drive. And, um, you know, he was like, I just don't know where we'd set up or whatever. We looked into permitting and stuff or a park or whatever nearby. This place I know is filled with a houseless encampment, you know? And so to be able to go around the country and, plan effectively you know see firsthand that's why you need to experience this stuff firsthand it isn't enough to read about other people's experiences and frankly i mean you could be just as engaged within your own town which i try to be as well but there's a very big void in an analysis of the various types of communities of so-called america and canada right like isn't like half of canada's population in ontario <laughs> uh, not exactly a whole lot of uh, diverse experiences, I bet. I think over half of Canada's population is located uh, like right on the northeastern border of the United States. Uh, at a for for a frame of reference, at a lower elevation than the uh, Oregon uh, Washington border, so it's like literally just basically like part of the United States. There was another thing I was going to say about. Uh, well, you were explaining your work with houseless folks, and I, I interrupted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, and you mentioned the hygiene thing. One of the big things that we did last year actually was we put together bags full of basic things like soap and toothpaste and toothbrushes because uh, what with like all of what's transpired since like COVID. Uh, like our our homeless shelters are like so overwhelmed that they were running out of like basic hygiene products uh and whole families showing up to shelters uh children and and their parents and yeah it's it's and then and then going out uh, like you were saying you can't you know understand without seeing um yeah, going out and seeing the conditions on the reservation and just connecting both of those things was like, and also like Chip said, like uh, it is a very powerful feeling of like solidarity and resiliency out there as well because like fucking a lot of times I get frustrated hearing people talk about you know the. The, the sins of this guilty land, uh, this guilty country, uh, being talked of in the past sen- past tense when it's like the the people are still here and 
still fighting. This is not the past. It is our present. And we, uh, we have a responsibility to, to join that fight. Anyway, I think that's about it. Well, I think that's well said. You know, there is a responsibility to join this fight. And I understand that a lot of people don't see it as their fight. They think it's out of place to be a part of this fight. But the issue is, is what we're fighting for isn't ourselves. We are fighting for the earth. We are fighting for everybody and every living thing at once. Because we understand that capitalism is at the root of the death and destruction that's being wrought. You know, um, and I mean, it's very easy to see on Pine Ridge, given that they, well, we're the poorest, right? Um, you see a huge amount of biodiversity compared to uh, most of the state that's covered in fields for farms and ranching. Not that the reservation is much better, but the parts that are. Uh, you can tell stay colder and hold the snow longer than the rest of the state. In, the, in May, Rapid City will have no snow. But once you drive to the reservation, you'll see there's plenty of snow. And either there's that much of a difference in elevation, or it's because of the fundamental difference in how the ecology is played out. Um, hint, it's the latter. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's probably a bit of both, but it's not that much difference. The rapid cities in the black Hills too. Um, That's the number one thing that I've talked about the most since coming back is the biodiversity. I don't even think we talked about it. Like, I don't know if I talked about it with you or any of you, but like no, just being there. And I, I want to show you more. Like there's a lot of in depthness, especially in like September and stuff, you have a lot of things fruiting. So we have like plum trees and currants all around. Um, well, you saw on the Sundance tree, we place a crossbar of currants mm-hmm. uh, as an offering of spirit food. Um, and so, you know, like we take um, pride, I guess, um, but it's more like kinship. You know, it's more like we care about maintaining those diverse systems as well as bringing some back. So one of the things I'm most proud of is that we will be bringing mouse means to the reservation this, this trip, you know, like we'll be bringing permaculture crops that belong there that have been removed due to colonial policy to try to reduce our ability to sustain ourselves without their help, you know, and we'll be bringing them back to sustain the people once again. And that's an incredible feeling beyond everything else we're doing, you know, like that's going to leave a mark forever. Like a building can disappear. (laughs) Yeah. Like just that by itself would be worthwhile, but like coming specifically for, for Sundance, I think was like uh, extra, you know, special and eye opening and seeing that like all the ceremony, everything involved with it was related to everything, you know, all the material around, right? Like, you know, you could, in theory, say like, you know, you want to bring back, you know, the buffalo or this or that, uh, but, and you know, that's a good thing, but to experience like why it's, why it's a good thing, why it's important, what else is it in relation to, and, you know, you kind of get like a deeper, um, 
understanding and then a deeper drive to, you know, want to do that thing. So it was, yeah, I think it was like a, a good time to come for, for that reason. Um, just seeing everything polo ceremony, like, um, around Sundance. Well, and like that ceremony is organizing, right? We're putting on a big thing. We feed a large group of people for five days, you know, um, we, we do a lot to help other people. Um, we spent like $10,000 medicine, blankets, um, paying people's bills, gas, etc. You know, a lot of money went into making it possible to even do. Um, whether or not you believe in it or not isn't the issue. The thing is, is that the people do, right? Um, and it works, you know, for them. You know, uh, modern science can't explain the shit that happens because of it. And I certainly can't as a materialist. So the reason I had other materialists come is to see what I'm seeing. Because I don't have an explanation, you know, with regards to what's accepted as materialism, orthodoxically, right? Um, <laughs> so that's fascinating to me. But one thing you mentioned earlier, Dragos, is that, uh, you, you know, I didn't mention a whole lot. I just said you have to come see it, right? Um, and so when everybody was traveling, right. You know, obviously we took a different trip. You had your own sections alone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what were your all's anxieties? What were the thoughts you had going through your head while traveling? What events happened that sort of, you still think about, you know, getting to rapid city before we even go out to Pine Ridge. Driving through, like, uh, the Black Hills National Forest, like, as soon as I got into those hills, I was like, oh, I, I see why they call it the center of everything. Like, you can, you can feel that. And then also seeing all the signs for around Mount Rushmore, it was like, well, that used to be a sacred place and they put all those faces on there it's like wow they really hate you guys like to do that is like that's insane that that was something that kind of blew my mind on the way out there but that was like the very last leg of the trip well and you're seeing eden to us you know over there is by wind cave and wind cave is when the lakota came out after the long winter, the ice age, uh, where we had learned from, you know, our relative, the bear, how to survive, how to be a community, you know, um, how to be a unit. Uh, and once we leave, we follow the Buffalo up North into Canada, so-called Canada. And there that we learn how to be Lakota, how to be Buffalo people, you know, um, and that's, you know, you didn't get to hear me explain that, you know, to organically see that, to organically feel that, to not know this, you know, the deeper nuances to why it's an important place, 
But besides, you know, the 1983 Supreme Court ruling saying it was illegally stolen, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of important reasons to, that communists should learn about the history of the Black Hills. You know, a lot of it comes down to um, correcting misconceptions of treaty law, um, correcting misconceptions of colonialism's play out, the time frames, like focusing on the Black Hills as it being the last place to be conquered allows for a fundamental reshape of how many people in the United States conceptualize Western expansion, um, which is oftentimes a child's view. I mean, really, like we understand Manifest Destiny was bad, but they do not understand how long it continued for, or the fact that it wasn't a Western expansion. It went around to the other coast and then fucking sandwiched us in, you know? Um, That's fascinating. Why do people only conceptualize it this way? To them, the trail of tears just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. You know, according to that conception, you'd expect to see us become islanders. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, uh, I mean, I, I even kind of, I guess, listening to that now, realize that like I've had that same conception of it being the westward expansion because that's just how we're taught in like American schools. Um and also on the note of uh Mount Rushmore, um Chip and I also tried to go to uh Wind Cave, uh which is now also a big like westernized tourist spot. Uh we couldn't go into the cave because the elevator was broken, so haha I get fucked. <laughs> Um, that, that was kind of, uh, a, a bit of irony there that this, you know, as we're leaving, we went to check out this, you know, now tourist destination and, uh, no, it's closed because your shitty elevator apparently is not working. Um, so yeah, it didn't occur to me that that was wind cave. I didn't put that together. I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and see, so Dragosh was on the other side got sort of a curated view of a very interesting trip to me uh, as somebody who makes the trip so often and knows the history so intimately. Um, what were your thoughts about our side of the trip? And before you got to my place in the UP? Well, I, I had a nice, I had a lovely morning when I left uh, Toronto and then I had like a 12 hour drive to do the, to come see you. Um, so yeah, I started off really nice. I went to see like, uh, some of my, like the farmers that are in the, the network that I work with. And I picked up like a big bag of flour, uh, and I picked up like a bunch of uh, produce and eggs and stuff. Custom. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like the morning was nice until I got, it was like a two hour drive to, to, to the border. And then at the border, they took like, they took all my eggs. They took all my produce. They took. Uh, you went in everything. through Windsor though? No, I went in. No, I went in up through Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah. And they were mean. They were mean to me. Uh, so they only really let me keep the flour. And I brought like a bunch of dried uh, mint. Um, 
So that was like the only thing that they let me keep. Which so that was after that I got, I was a bit more anxious about the trip. But at least I had made it through. And then I was coming to see you. You were having a, a terrible day on your side when I was driving up to see you. Uh, so, you know, I was like, I don't even know if you're going to be there when I get there. <laughs> that was my main anxiety. Uh, and then, you know, I was getting there at like 1am or 2am or something. I forget how late it was. Um, and uh, at some point, I think I had like an hour left or something on the drive. And uh, you were like, hey, can you can you go pick up? Uh, <laughs> I don't forget what you wanted me to pick up, like for this particular know, food. <laughs> No, no, it was something out of the way. It was something that was like in Marquette or something like that. Oh, but that's along the way. That's not really out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I had passed it like 45 minutes ago. I had to go yeah, back. Yeah. If, if I had said it early enough, it would have been convenient. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, and yeah, but otherwise it was a nice uh, drive uh, to come see you. Coming you up through, like, I make that drive a lot too when I go to Detroit. Mm. It's a nice drive. Oh yeah, no, it's I love beautiful. You. Yeah, you you had probably one of the better drives, though. I guess I've never driven through the Rockies, which would probably be killer. It was nice, uh, and then like as soon as I got to the UP, there was like a, a thunderstorm that was at the time the biggest thunderstorm that I had ever seen. I had to walk home in that from the hospital, and that sucked. It was, it was like, it just followed me too. It was like, I was tired. I was, you know, this was like a 12, 13 hour drive, whatever it was. And it hit, you know, the rain hit right when it got dark. So I was just trying to stay awake and it followed me for like two hours. And it was just so, I was just also kept taking like videos of it um, on the, <laughs> the dash cam because um, it was so gorgeous and it kept lighting up the road, which was nice. So, and the, but you were texting me saying that like, oh, this is like a great sign. Um, so your positivity really carried me through through those couple of hours, which was nice. But yeah, we got a lot more thunderstorms after that, which you know I guess yeah, we'll talk about saying, later. Saying uh, at the time really struck me as foreshadowing. Right, right. So I mean, obviously Dragush gets here and then we leave, right? And um, one of the places uh, we stop is Pipestone. Um, we also stayed in Mankato, which is the, near the site of the Dakota 38, which was the largest mass hanging in U.S. history. Um, and what happens with that is we killed some people who told us to eat grass when we were starving. And we stuffed his mouth full of grass after we killed him. And so then they hung a bunch of us. Anyway... <laughs> Gang, gang. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, and then we stop in Pipestone. And, and Pipestone is our ancient ravine, right? Um, there, people from all around the Midwest and stuff would go to get their Chinupa pipe um, from underneath, I forget the rock layer. Um, but you have to get through a very difficult to get through layered in order to get through this to the stone that the iron ore has sort of leached into and creates this deep red hue. Right. Um, and this is called redstone, right. Which is, you know, <laughs> Minecraft fucking sucks. 
Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I was getting my pipe stone um, for my Chinupa journey, which, um, you know, we'll get to that part. But, you know, I seek to become a Chinupa holder because in our culture, movements and organizations need to have somebody with a Chinupa a part of them in order to help assure our ancestors are walking with us, you know, to assure that there's a philosophy that's coherent with Lakota values being, um, or influencing the program. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the program, but it should influence the program. Right. So the red road fundamentally is about a living in harmony with the environment and others. It's a very good principle. <laughs> very good. Um, it's very adaptable. Very easy to adapt that into scientific socialist principles beyond something like Ujamaa. You know, like we could do what Walter Ronnie suggests and formulate something that considers, you know, Marxism as a necessary thing to learn from but doesn't consider Marx as a necessary part of the pedagogy, understanding that all he did was discover a science that is discoverable anywhere, right? Anybody who's coming up against capitalism can observe these things and come to similar conclusions, not to mention Marx was wrong in some of his conclusions that we ended up needing Lenin's analysis to advance, you know? So that's something that I think is important to consider, you know, um, when talking about these things, especially knowing that like our great chief sitting bull, um, he said things like the white man knows how to make everything, but not how to distribute it, you know, and that's, you know, like that's, that's marks. <laughs> it's Fanon actually, you know, <laughs> even more advanced so like it, it, it to me you know i see a circle that's not complete and it's because people don't understand that marx drew from indigenous sources and once you add in those indigenous sources you can fully conceptualize how things became how they are now and a lot of that is land dispossession of indigenous peoples um <laughs> how to segue that in to the next thing <laughs> oh when we were getting when we were getting your your stone that's also the first sundance that we heard that was on the oh, way yeah that's where i was gonna which get which was lovely yeah we uh we're just walking and all of a sudden you hear a sundance song right? i'm like huh and then like i look over in the distance and i see the tips of the sundance tree you know and then like uh we're going to the gas station after or something like that and there's these people clearly from that sundance there you know and so, manitoba like, plates manitoba. Yeah, manitoba yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is that these sundances you know people come from all over you know our sundance particularly we have ainu people who show up we have sami people who show up we have um Keshua, we have we have all kinds of folks from all over who show up. Chinese folks, you know, 
to experience this community because of how powerful it is really. Um, you know, uh, David Swallow Jr., the Sundance chief, was 17 when Wounded Knee happened. And to this day, he's one of the most famous photos from the incident. Uh, when I was hired by Jacobin to start a documentary about the subject, um, their proposal for grants had my uncle on it, and they didn't even know. You know, that's how famous the photo is. So when they showed me it, I laughed. And <laughs> You know, that's one of the first photos my uncle will show you if you hang out in his house. You know, obviously y'all didn't do that this year because you were so new and I wanted you to focus on uh, labor and lending a hand instead of sitting around with the medicine man. Because so many times people will come and they want the knowledge and they don't want, they don't want to earn it, right? They don't want to do anything to ingratiate themselves into the community. They just want to come in and then... Um, dictate to us what needs to be done and then somehow be accepted as one of the good ones. Theory without praxis. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's praxis to them, right? Like it, to them, they're doing something. That's the worst part because they showed up somewhere. That's doing something. You didn't have to cut wood. You didn't have to help anybody. You just show up and you go, I should be an equal part of this. That happened at Standing Rock a lot, you know? Um, and that's the thing that we always combat is that we, we've been around the block. Um, David spoke at Tiananmen Square, a bunch of other things, you know? Um, so it's very fascinating to me to be related to this person who learned from Fool's Crow you know, who's cousins with Crow Dog, um, you know, all these great names. And, like, you meet this guy, and he's like, oh, I was just security, you know? Like, he doesn't play up his role or anything like that. He's very honest. And the reason why he's important is because, you know, this year was the last Liberation Day. They were allowed to do it for 50 years. Liberation Day is when we celebrate uh, the occupation of Wounded Knee. Uh, and that's um, February 27th, 26th, depending on when you count the start, um, which is like based on when Dwayne Camp goes in and cuts the phone cord and takes over the trading post, which is technically the day before the official beginning. Um, <laughs> but basically, you know, all these people are family. They're close friends. You know, they're elders to me, their uncles, their grandmas, their grandpas, you know, but these are revolutionaries. These are people who stood much like the Paris commune for nearly two months, exchanging fire with the federal government and lived to tell the tale. In fact, there was many white people there that were treated as equals. They were made citizens of the independent Oglala nation and literally you know, provided the same level of healthcare, food, rations, etc. You know, we have already shown how we will treat settlers once we govern. And that's during occupation. That's not even post, you know, establishment of a state. <laughs> you know, uh, so to me, you know, 
the Sundances, they represent an international um, culture, right? Um, that is easily adaptable into a pro culture, a proletarian culture, due to the values it espouses, you know, um, which we'll get into into a later episode, I think is the best way to do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, talking about sentence, talking about getting there, talking about the community and the values, right? When we first arrive, when we first get there, right? Um, overhead, you can see that storm is a brewing, right? And people are already set up camping. We arrive, we come down. The roads there are very shitty. We plan on fixing them. So that way they are no longer a problem, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, like, if it rains really bad, you get stuck on the property. You can't leave because the road gets washed out when you try to go up it due to the mud. Um, you know, we try to fix it every year. It, you know, without like actually paving it, it's never going to get fixed, you know? And even then, like, there needs to be like a retention pond, runoff direction. So much civil engineering literally needs to go on down there. And thank goodness we're going to do that, you know. But uh, we get there, right? And uh, I obviously see my grandma first, and I run up and hug her. And the storms are meeting overhead as we hug, right? And Jason actually got video of the storm on his YouTube channel. Um, but you know, what were your thoughts on that first meeting? You know, first seeing the people that, you know, I talk about all the time. Um, this was, I mean, for me, this was like the first time I've ever really ventured into the interior of the U S I've spent my entire life on the West coast. So, uh, just being out there for one, like the drive there and everything was like a, a pretty like intense experience for me, like seeing all of this stuff that I've only ever really like read or seen pictures of and, and then showing up there and, and that happening at the same time was for one extremely surreal uh but also uh i uh i felt for one i felt very like i mean obviously because i was with you but like immediately like a sense of place i guess there uh reminded me of communities that i grew up in that were very, very impoverished and lived in similar conditions. And so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, not in a like weirdly culturally appropriate, uh, appropriative way, but I felt a kind of an immediate connection to like the conditions there. Uh, yeah. I understood a lot of things very quickly. It felt like family, like showing up there, even though we never met the people, it's like instantly we're tight, we're homies, we're all... We're rolling talking. with me. 
Well, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like why I said I think like I felt that too, but that was probably because of who we showed up with. But like still, like I, I don't know, maybe it's the people I've been with, but like that's not something you feel very often, uh at least in terms of dealing with white people. But yeah, that was crazy. Uh and seeing like it really is like like a open air concentration camp too. Like, did you feel like we were gonna reverse genocide you? Yeah, no, no, no. Totally, totally. It was about to get hunted for sport out there. When we got locked in the gas station, I was like, "Shit, I'm gonna get drunk." Then <laughs> <laughs> you go to the washroom. I'm like, "Set me up." Dude, I'm, leave the I'm, white guy. Just this is a very, very elaborate eight month long catfishing scheme. What about you, Dragosh? Well, by that point, we had been traveling together for like, I don't know how long. It was a, it was a long road trip, uh, like four or five days or something like that, that we were traveling together. Uh, so, you know, I loved you by then and I had a lot. Of, so I just wanted to see, you know, where you came from and like all the stories you were telling and stuff and just be like in that place with you and just see you like be your, your full self. And I was excited for that because of you. You seem really like, I don't know, you just got like a little weight off as soon as we got there. So I was like excited to to just be there. And, you know, like I kept telling you I had no like expectations coming in. I was just kind of coming in with an open mind and heart and just going to take it in, like you said. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was feeling at that time. Uh, and just excited to meet everybody and, you know, uh, but we had to leave like so quickly you know we barely you know we got to be there for like i don't know i felt like 45 minutes or an hour or something yeah we dropped camping stuff off and then all of a sudden we heard the pouring start and then it started coming through the roof because of how damaged it is yep and so they're like you need to go (laughs) so we run out and i'll hop in the car and you know like i you know i almost planned on driving your vehicle down there for you so I was like, I hope to God they make it up that fucking hill. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was a little chancy. Uh, a little slip and slide. Yeah, and so, like, uh, we get up to the main road, and you know, we're we're driving down, and it's just pouring rain. Just can't see three feet in front of you. And all of a sudden, you hear, oh, dude, oh, dude, 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 just hail coming back. No, 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 no. You're missing a key part. <laughs> the sky is green, and you were mentioning tornado conditions, and you were like, we're probably fine as long as it doesn't start hailing. And then immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot about that part. It felt like the size of fucking golf balls. Dude, I thought something were- hit our car, yeah. I, yeah, well, I like, we're all in rentals, so I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was losing my mind, like, shit, <laughs> shit, shit. <laughs> rental. Break the windshield. Well, and then there's a baby with us, so I'm just like, please, for the love of fucking God. You know, um, but we, we show up. It's called Sharp's Corner or Common Sense, and um, it's a shitty little gas station. Wait, wait, like, you, 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 you're skipping a big part, which, like, Chip, I bet, has in, in his story. Which is oh, when okay. you almost got struck by lightning. That's after Sharps. Was that when we drove out from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when we had our friend. Oh my! Oh, our friend. 
So, or, yeah, right when, right, right when we're like, okay, it's safe to get back on the road, but I almost get struck by lightning. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. This is how it happens. We, we, we're at Common Sense. We decide we're going to rush and we're going to get some drinks. We're going to wait it out a little bit. While Chip and I go in to get everybody's drinks, um, she's like asking about it. I mentioned the hail and she's immediately like locking the doors, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, whatever. Some lady's trying to get in and she's locked out. She locked her out. I'm like, (laughs) I think as soon as we pulled into there, we rolled our windows down. Or you rolled your window down. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the Black Hills. Yeah. (laughs) Then you just fucking laugh like a maniac. (laughs) (laughs) My signature laugh. And so, uh, you know, we, we finally get out. And, you know, we talk about it, you know, over the phone. And um, you guys were listening to some song, right? And Broken Clocks, I think. So maybe a- a- yeah. add in the part that we're talking about here, Chip. Run fast from a day job, running fast from the was, jump quick to a paycheck, running back to the strip club. I'm never going back, never going back. No, you can't make me. Never going back, never going back. They never take. Right. But, you know, we're, we're, you know, waiting for the storm to light up and uh, the Bluetooth in our car fucked up. And so, like, I was trying to fix it, you know, because it was silent at that point. And uh, so I tried turning off the car, then turning it back on. And to Dragos, that's the sign to go. <laughs> they start peeling out. So then I just have to peel out. And I'm, I jump in front to lead everybody and uh, you know, we leave at that exact moment and the clouds just started to slow down. You know, it just started to get lighter and uh, we basically followed the storm into rapid city. Um, But this is when, you know, we, we have a friend in between us. Right. And did you have a name for this friend? I forget. I don't think so. It was just like our homie. Just our friend. What was the mindset? No, we actually did come up with a fictional name for them. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah, maybe our car had it. I don't know. <laughs> I thought your car thought that we were the friend because he was in between us. Maybe maybe that's what I did think. But like, we're driving around this one corner, right? Infamous corner to me. You know, I know it very well mm. because you'll see a lot of like um, antelopes there. You know, stuff like that's the only place I've ever seen an antelope. You know, uh, besides the zoo, you know? <laughs> and uh, we uh, we're driving along, and in between us and this other person, lightning strikes. I guess that you guys get to watch. We didn't know there was a corner coming up, um, but we we see the lightning strike, and we don't know this curve is coming up. And me and Dragos are like, "Oh, yo, that was like really close." And I think Dragosh said, like, oh, well, I don't think we're heading in that direction. And then the road starts to turn. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. that hit the road, like, right in front of us, huh? Shit. Well, it sounded like a cannon, too. That was fucking crazy. Like, originally, we described it as a gunshot. But then it happened again next to the TP for the Sundancers. And, uh, yeah, that sounds like a fucking cannon. Yeah, that one was... Yeah. 
I almost got struck by too many times. Hey, you're blessed. That doesn't sound like a blessing. That sounds like a warning. That's what it was like being in Chip's car, by the way. I mean, I was driving it, but Chip was next to me. But he was just having so much fun. That's maybe the most fun Chip has ever had. I don't know if I'm overstepping Chip. No, 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 that's right. I was, Somehow like, frightened. Of us Proper, I was properly frightened as one should be when driving in that. And I was, I was having a lot of fun until, uh, Shimanatu mentioned the tornado and the hail. And then I was like, very, very upset. Well, Chip also mentioned the tornado, but was like, where, what better place to be in if a tornado does come? That was the attitude of, in our car. I'm mean, absolutely sick of. We we set, end up saving people with horses and shit. It's fucking crazy. Like, anytime there's flooding and stuff, you know, the state doesn't help. We go around with fucking horses and shit. After that, I considered being, like, one of those storm chaser dudes. Because, like, holy fuck, that was weird. Oh, don't get me wrong. Part of me was really hoping that one would touch down, like, at just safe enough of a distance. Hopefully not hurt anyone. It happens way too often. You don't want that. When I was like a kid going to Sundance, like I was thrown as a baby in a tent because of a tornado. And then they turned it around. Res dog style. No, nobody woke up naked. <laughs> that's that's definitely the angle that Chip was coming from, by the way, when he was like, there's no better place to be in. He's like, yeah, they'll turn it around. Someone's going to safe right here. <laughs> the issue is, is we were leaving. <laughs> going to turn fine. around and go right to it. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we got off the res, it, it wasn't storming anymore. It, it's all good. And then somehow so, we beat you back. Even though you had Jason message me being like, you guys know it's 65 here, right? Yeah, because your friends are going so fucking slow. <laughs> Yeah, you sent you did send that message and then we beat you back. Beautiful, humiliating oh, stuff. Steady, you love to baby. see <laughs> And then we just sat there and watched the storm. And that was really, really weird how you guys were somehow ahead of us when Um, so what kind of takeaways did you have leaving? You know, before we get into I guess Sundance itself as much as we can, you know. When you left now that it's been, you know, a month, two months now, you know, what what are your thoughts, your takeaways? How are you feeling? This made me like, uh, you know, like uh, think about a lot more about like my uh, Romanian culture and stuff like that and like... Uh, trying to go back to like, I don't know, talking to my mom more about it and people in my family more about it. Um, just because, you know, I was like, wow, having culture is nice. <laughs> I do, I do miss a lot of that. And, uh, so like in my family, like my, my great grandma, uh, who, I, who I grew up with until I was like about seven or so, um, is kind of like the last person you know, kind of was kind of like uh, in, just knew the old ways and kept in touch with that, and kind of had a still had a maintained a relation to like the land and her food and things like that, and traditions and songs and things like that. So she was kind of the last one, and then everybody else kind of uh, you know moved into the city after that, and we you know we lost some of that. So 
Um, I've been talking a lot more to my with my family about that. Um, that was kind of the big takeaway for me. It's kind of um, made me, you know, look back uh, and try to, you know, learn more of my, you know, little songs and things like that that I grew up listening to. Um, and uh, and yeah, like my takeaway by being there too was like. The, like you were saying like people are so open there to making a new relation like uh you know people are so excited to add to that list you know we're saying so many people from different you know the sami people and you know whatever from all over the world uh people were there you know aztec folks were there and so on so but they're really excited to add to that list you know they're like oh you're romanian like we have an estonian over there <laughs> you know uh which is nice and, <laughs> and then just kind of having like they're like, just interested in like a cultural exchange of that it's like you know what's your language like you know what like what are you know how, how are these kind of ceremonies like different or the same or like what you know what's your experience like here like, people are just really curious about uh and you know they're kind of well, everyone's kind of you get the sense by then like or you know that everyone's watching and everyone knows everything that's happening especially like the you know the elders and stuff <laughs> like uh, if you try to tell them something you did they'll be like yeah well, we know <laughs> we saw we <laughs> yeah <laughs> we know um, I just remember like a day or two in Drago shoot you go up to me you're like I, I think people around here would be like down with land back. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So that, that's a, that's a good contradiction bit. there. Um, like we're down with it, but we make fun of Indian Collective because their idea of land back is buying billboards and rapids. Shout out to their billboard. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Thunder Valley, baby. Well, actually, they kind of just like tagged in on that after Camp Mini Lujahan, which was a grassroots effort, failed. And that's when they also get the Jeff Bezos grant. So, like, they gave up on, like, a truly revolutionary project and then did that. So now we're going to do that. We're going to do Camp Mini Luzahan, but the right way. That's the plan. <laughs> um, but in regards to, you know, your time on the... I, I left you alone. You know, mm-hmm. I was hardly around. <laughs> <laughs> I was sun dancing. You, you were know. some 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 other place, and I was doing a lot of things. You know, running errands and stuff. Um, you know, I, I just have a different role, right? Just being trusted with stuff, you know. Um, but you know, y'all went pining. You know, you collected. You, did you put up palms? I'm guessing, you know, you, you did a lot of stuff I'm not aware of. So could you all go in to your time there? You know, what, what you did, how you helped the people, what you learned and what you think could be done further. Honestly, I think I spent most of the time pining and putting the trees in after, you know, and, all that and oh, digging the posts, yeah. yeah, dropping posts and putting up the arbor. That That's was good much fun. Later, is we, need, <laughs> we need a post digger, you know. Yeah, I think they had one, but it uh, no, no, no like an electric, yeah, yeah. The the thing, the pull cord stopped working, they couldn't get it to turn on. 
awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I've only ever done it by hand with them old, like yeah, the spirit tweezer things. Get yeah. her done right. But yeah, it was um, seeing how ready people were also to do that to put that work in was um, really cool and like. <laughs> Alfred was telling like stories like, oh yeah, no, I used to run down the hill with two trees on my arm. What the fuck were these people made of? Is this microplastics killing us that bad? Shit. Like, no, we just live a very different, well, like, you know, I. It's the technique here, too. We don't have the technique. Here in, um, you know, Michigan, I go into the woods near my house and I come out carrying trees all the fucking time. Walk them to my house to build with. Yeah, my dad and my uncle are like that. And that's I am not built that way. <laughs> I can carry above my weight, but not like that. But that, who? Somebody was like, "You got noodle arms," and you were like, "I, I wouldn't call them noodles." <laughs> I remember hey, joking man, a lot. Oh, you got I, soft hands. I carried weights. But anyway, so what about you, Jason Dragos? What were your you know, experiences. Well, on the first morning, I, I, one of your cousins taught me to build a Dakota fire pit. That was my first little morning activity. And that was really nice. And then we used that the whole time. It was just they like, dude, they wanted us to keep it. They said, that's for filling it in. It was just so nice to just build it like in where it's obvious why it would be this way and like having the perfect clay and stuff to, you know, the, the, the dirt to, to build it in. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I very much understand why this is a thing and why that would be invented here. Uh, so it was like really fun to, to just learn by doing, which is what I love to do. And then yeah, I went. I think I went pining that day with uh, with Chip later in the afternoon, which was which was fun. I tried to learn the like right technique for getting like a really really big one onto the truck. You know, once there's already like a, a big pile of pine onto there. Real power. So I had like I had one of the you know more strapping young lads like teach me how to do it, who was like just muscling trees like. It's perfect. And uh, he was like, you do it like this. You know, he showed me how you crouch down and the position and everything. And I tried one. And I was like, I think I did pretty well. And then uh, Alfred was like, you know, it, it takes a long time to to get it. And then there was like a pause. And he was like, sometimes people never get it. <laughs> like, you spent oh. a lot of time picking sage too, eh? Oh, yeah. Once I got back from, from that with you, then I went uh, out sage picking with your grandma and your cousin and that was really really lovely too uh we got to hear stories of a uh, little baby manny running around scaring rattlesnakes uh while people are sage picking and stuff which was fun um and yeah it was nice to just get, get stories from your grandma and walk around uh i brought i got to bring some sage back with me and i've been giving some to people uh, yeah, when you meet with elders and stuff and they give you stories, it's good to give them medicines like that in return. Good, it's good I still have some then. Yeah, because I expect y'all to start growing these relations. Yeah, that's the point, yeah. 
Yeah, I enjoyed uh, going out and picking sage, even though I got bit the fuck up by some little bugs. I don't know. You got bit by one of the dogs. It's like as soon as we got there. Was that the first night that we <laughs> oh. were there? I think. I so. think so. We With became princess? good friends. Was afterwards. it princess? Princess. Yes. <laughs> It got to the point where we were calling them off of people eventually. So, it, you know, you, yep. you took your lumps. And I picked some ticks off of Princess. So, you know, Aww. we're even. Well, and that's like when my uncle sees people doing that, you know, he recognizes that. You know, he sees somebody going beyond themselves, you know, to help this being that can't get the ticks off themselves that oftentimes develop diseases, never get to go to the vet, etc. You know, that people undervalue really, um, you know, dogs are really something else when you think about like what they'll put up with and still love you, you know? And like a lot of people are like, is that love or whatever? And it's like, I don't My dog fucking, well, come and find me. All right. <laughs> yes. It's the love of, of a member of the pack. I mean, they're the only animals that recognize the human gesture of pointing. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> what a weird I mean, fact. It's just, it's, that's how deeply like co-evolved they are with people. Well, right. And so to me, you know, like it's, Oh, wait, I want to tell a story about one of the dogs. That I haven't told any of you because it was on the last morning before when I left. Uh, I think actually only your partner, Hannah, knows and your cousin because they were there for it. So, you know, that there was that little like uh, black and white dog that would come around and get bullied kind of by princess and, and, you know, Alfred and Vanessa's dogs there where we were staying. But we didn't really know like where the dog was from. And it had a collar that was kind of tight on just kind of like a rope with a knot that was really close to the neck. But it had been cut off, but it was still tight around the neck. So on like the second or third day, I had like, you know, just scissored that off. And so it kept coming around and it was like, you know, very friendly to the area, kind of like where your grandma would show. And so on the last morning when I was there, I was sitting by the red truck there and just like um, looking out. And this dog came and just sort of snuck up and took one of those beautiful Colorado waters that had been brought down for us to drink which were delicious thank you to your grandma for that um and uh it like just took it in his mouth the full one and it just started to like gallop away and uh your cousin was like hold on like don't don't like react or say anything but just follow her and just see where she goes so i started to follow her and she walked like 100 200 feet and she put the the water down and she started to try to kind of like get it open somehow it's getting frustrated i couldn't do it picked it back up again walked around the corner like in one of those paths um that goes kind of like swings back around to the entrance and out of the bush came like five little puppies that i guess you know had just birthed and was caring for and it was trying to bring them water uh, and they were just so happy and then she put it down and they're all trying to get it open together and I came and I opened the water for them and I just like poured started pouring a little bit out 
and they started drinking it and then the dog was drinking it and kissing and trying to kiss me and drinking it and trying to kiss me it was so thankful and it was just so so sweet and i came back and i told your uh, your cousin hannah about it and your cousin was like something something's gonna something's gonna come to you something's gonna get like returned to you like in the next week or something or whatever um and uh i don't know what that was but i'm sure you know it was like you know something i i will remember in like those relations with the the little res dogs are so cute on the last morning i also laid down with princess just on the ground and we just kind of like she belly flopped over i think you were there jason you're like oh it's giving you a belly and just like right before i left and it was just such a sweet little tender moment especially considering how we started when they were like our greatest enemy and obstacle to going to the bathroom during the night <laughs> Once you left, uh, she started doing the same thing with me. She'd roll over and get ah, on it. So yeah, that's, when it. that's when I found the tick on her. Jason's just making that up to make it seem like they could fly <laughs> Oh, no, I was definitely the most terrified one of her at the beginning. So what about you, Chip? What, do, wait, Jason. Sorry. What about you, T- Tell everybody about your experience, and then can everybody tell me whether or not they felt like whites were welcome or not? Um, shit. Uh, I like uh, the others. I was out pining a lot uh, and helping put up the arb and uh, uh, wrangling dogs. When once we got a better relationship with them. Uh, I think uh was it Dragash that uh mentioned the biodiversity. Um I was often amazed just walking through the fields uh, and seeing like the waves of giant grasshoppers that would be going before me. It was that was really cool. Uh so many different colors. Yeah, it was so beautiful. beautiful. I'd be like, is that a butterfly? Oh, no, that's another huge grasshopper. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say they look like butterflies. Yeah, yeah, they're all all the different colors of wings. That was, uh, and then, uh, yeah, being out and uh, collecting pine and riding in the uh, back of the truck with that little kid, Johnny, <laughs> crazy little kid hanging off the back of the oh my god back of the truck and i'm like back here like i'm the only person here responsible for this kid i've got my arm around him so like if anything he's responsible for you jason okay well he's the lakota there yeah but uh i don't know my paternal instinct i guess was there and i was like i feel responsible for this young child hanging off the side of this pickup truck that i'm in the back of well and that's the thing is that kid's like 10 8 something like that and he, yeah eight or ten he sundanced with us you yeah know? he sundanced no, four days i stopped the fourth day because i had to take hannah to the airport you know like <laughs> the range of people willing to put their life on the line for this vision this you know philosophy of life this way of life you know, is far greater than the amount of communists ready to go shoot, you know? All I'm saying, like, in 2020, when I went to Sundance during COVID, you know, the government was trying to shut down our Sundances, and we mobilized 25-some people, seven cars, filled with guns, (laughs) 
they did not stop the Sundances. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it definitely, uh, I guess, yeah, another thing that I felt was very, like, a serious revolutionary sort of spirit still alive there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's hopeful uh, that it, it felt really good, like, for my own mental health honestly uh being out there and uh yeah around people that kind of immediately just embraced me uh in a familial way like uh i had a great time hanging out with and getting pestered by uh all your little cousins uh they're good kids uh, uh shout out to the kids miss the kids yeah they're so funny, great. funny as shit. Well, and I think, you know, that leads segues into what do we hope from the future of this project? What do we want to see? What, what things really bothered us? And one of the things that bothered me is the lack of attention towards the children, right? A liberation movement should liberate children from oppressive structures as well. You know, they shouldn't be forgotten. Um, obviously, there's, you know, a line like you can't let kids do children of the corn, but you know, like maybe they should have more say in their education. Maybe, you know, if they're uncomfortable with a family member hugging and kissing them, you should be listening to them. You know, maybe there should be childcare that's standard in organizing. So that way more parents can attend protest and movement building you know, um, one of the things we're going to be doing is setting up a kid's kitchen to serve kids and their moms whenever, because right now the current kitchen serves everybody at the same meal time, which creates issues for babies on their own schedule, which creates issues for moms. Right. Um, you know, and obviously not everybody has access to the dwellings like me and my family do. We're obviously an exception because we're also family. But even then, uh, <laughs> like a month before we came, an electrical storm destroyed their oven and most of their electricity. You know, uh, actually, the kitchen, the makeshift kitchen we set up every year, its electricity got blown out because of a lightning strike, even. So it's like, you know, there's so much to this stuff that needs to be solved for an easier ceremony, but there's a lot more to these grounds than just that ceremony. A lot of it is these international politics that can occur there and have meaning actually, because they represent an, an actual surviving dual power structure that has survived the test of time against colonial occupation. All that to say, um, I forgot the question I was going to ask you, you know, <laughs> um, what, what is to be done? What is um, to be done? Exactly. Um, I was actually also thinking more uh, about, um, the previous thing you said with, uh, childcare, also the survival school. Right. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. All these things, like there's so much, um, like I had a lot of fun just hanging out with uh, them and uh, shooting targets with that BB gun in the back, and uh, 
stuff like that can be a good way to to get kids into, well, not just shooting shit, but doing other, like, I don't know, just the survival skills related. Like, I saw it out there, like, uh, you're, you know, miles and miles away from the nearest anything. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, I guess it's almost redundant because a lot of those kids were showing me like where they forage for stuff. And, uh, but just to have that in a more organized, uh, like the thing you need to realize is that our Tioshpaye represents one of the more traditionally connected Tioshpaye. So all those families involved tend to be much more traditionally connected than most of the rest of the reservation, just due to the nature of how the concentration camps were set up mostly. Like uh, our voting districts are based on which prisoner of war camp we were placed into. And then certain ones had more rebellions than others. The ones with crazy horse relatives and sitting bull relatives, of course, tended to be more radical. And then there, you know, there was assassinations and shit. Pretty crazy stuff. Something that I, I guess, wanted to add to what Jason was saying was water there. Like there's mad rainstorms and it doesn't drain anywhere, really. So it was just like the whole time it was like big pools of water everywhere and fucking mud baths and like just walking around was a challenge a lot of the time. So having like some sort of way to get that water out of there, maybe back into the creek would be like game changing, like a good number of vans got stuck on that hill trying to get out. <laughs> well, and then it takes, you know, the village just, just push them out, you know, and that's fucking annoying for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the other thing I was kind of thinking about was like, uh, your cousin, like she can't have her kids because she doesn't have housing, like building housing isn't only a game changer for like, now you have a place to live, but Hey, now you have your kids with you now. Like it, it's a lot bigger than just now you have a house. Oh, it's it. I mean, it's rebuilding families. It's rebuilding communities. It's preserving ways of life that are under threat right now and have been resisting colonial absorption, you know, um, co-option, whatever you want to call it, you know, we try our best to reduce the commodification of our culture, which can be difficult um, with the way things are set up under a colonial system, obviously. Um, That being said, uh, you know, part of why we acquired the land and stuff is to build a buffalo prairie, you know. Um, 
And the buffalo prairie, what it's supposed to do is decommodify these ceremonies. One buffalo can feed 200 people for four days and have leftovers, you know? So, as these it did, ranchers, very yummily. Yeah, right. But these Delicious. ranchers, they they sell buffalo for eight hundred to two thousand dollars of buffalo, and then the limited amount of buffalo tags sold by the tribe are sold at five hundred dollars a tag. This enables them um, to, uh, you know, allow hunting a buffalo, but. It limits the amount of people who can do it. You have to have $500. That's another issue, you know. And then, um, you know, it sells out quick because if you kill too many, obviously they can't replenish as quickly. You know, I mean, we care about replenishing them more than hunting them. Um, but this way, there would be a source for um, communities to be fed who are in need for one, but most importantly, during the ceremonies, decommodifying that relationship and bringing it back under control of the people instead of settlers. You know, um, Sankara said, if you want to help us, send us seeds, tractors, etc. You know, if you want to help us, help us build our food sovereignty networks. You know, not to, like we're going to be working with um, the indigenous uh, Native Seed Keepers Alliance, um, which helps supply his tribes with traditional seeds and foodstuffs that might be limited due to colonial <laughs> occupation. Oh, man, that was just... Uh, it, it was quite a trip. Like, the whole... I mean, it was literally a trip, but it was also... Yeah, yeah. Bruh, it's a trip. Yeah, I'd never been through most of those states myself. Um, Bend, Oregon is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> because of you coming into a lady's car with an axe. <laughs> that wasn't in Bend. <laughs> yeah, it was. Was it? It oh. was in Bend. And she was a good sport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, much. Imagine if she just turned around and maced you immediately. <laughs> Or worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. People have gotten expelled yeah. here. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus Christ. Dragos, you never answered the question. It's your turn. Me and Jason went. What question? Uh, like, like, what is to be done, as it were? I like that we're just... I heard a bunch of talking as I came back, and now we're just moving on. <laughs> we're we're making fun of Jason for busting into a car with a with a hatchet. Oh, I forgot about that. Bust into a. I mean, you gently bust into a car. That just sounded weird. Uh, phrasing. Phrasing. Get over there and make totally happy. Um, phrasing. To gently bust. Yeah, gently bust into a car. <laughs> Look, man, that's, there's only okay. so many places that goes. <laughs> Look, you're either putting like a bust of somebody's head into the car, you know, you're you're slightly breaking which you in. should be doing gently. Yeah, you're you're quietly breaking in. Yeah, or the third option. 
Jason, which one were you doing in the parking lot of this Walmart in Oregon? Hey, it was, it a, a, it was a home hardware or something. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a Walmart. It was a hardware store. Why? Why? First off, why'd you go to a hardware store? Got the hatchet. To get, to, to get, to get that a hatchet. hatchet. To, he thought we needed a hatchet, hatchet to get cedar. A real axe. That's what you need. I guess. That would have been nice. But on like the fourth day or third it day, we figured out we had a really nice handsaw, which Jason oh, loved. That. Yes, I did. Oh, gosh. What is to be done? Well, I was also going to talk about the survival school because I heard a lot of like, or a few of the older folks talk about like that that was a thing and talk about it very positively and um and just like hung out with the kids a lot like we mentioned uh you know like alfred and vanessa were so kind and even one night had to sleep on their living room floor because the storm was like so so bad that night um oh that's where you ended up i feel yeah, so that's where i was yeah i was jason yeah. just disappeared I went to get food and, or no, he went to get food and then disappeared. I didn't see him again for the rest of the night. I Maybe he got hit by lightning. I didn't know. No one told me. It's just in the house. <laughs> I, was laying on the, I was sleeping on the couch. Poor Alfred. It was like, you know, having to like just wake up and empty buckets once in a while. Because like you said, even when we got there, right? Like when the storm came in. You didn't think about helping him? No, I did. I'm, but I'm, I, I, and I, I went to sleep. Like he was doing it. He did it for the first time, and I was about to fall asleep. And I was like, I gotta wake up in the night, and re, you know, redo it as soon as I get up. But then I woke up to him already doing it in the night, and I, I was like, oh, I miss, I missed it, and I, I felt bad. But, um, yeah. After that, the storm ended. But I wish I had helped. And that's just another, you know you know, fix that's needed, you know, just the way that people just be living with that. And the, the storms we keep mentioning, you know, like they're a reality, they're happening there. So, you know, having the infrastructure that could, you know, at least keep you and your family like warm and safe inside. Um, I think it was like, it was important to be there and see that, you know, reality uh, in itself. And then, you know, what is to be done made a lot more sense after that. And seeing even just like your list of things that you wanted to invest in uh, or that we were raising money for, it just made a lot more sense after being there. It wasn't like, you know, looking at it before because I hadn't been there, I didn't know the material reality at all. So I picked out the wrong shoe size for your uh, uncle when we got there because I didn't consider that you just be stepping on hills all the time because I had never been to the Black Hills. We were on the way there at a Walmart picking out a uh, work boot. Um, and so they only had 11s and 12s. And I was like, you know, I know boots always like run big. So I better go with like an 11 for an 11 and a half, which is like, you know, would make sense in uh, the city where I live if you're walking on flat ground. But I didn't consider and what Alfred told me after meeting him was that, you know, he's always stepping on like a, an incline down at a downward angle. So the tip is always like pushing back. And that's why also steel toe was out of the option, you know, for, for us at Walmart. So just, just this little example of that in my head was like, Oh, it's, you know, this is why it's important to actually be here, see how and where people live. Or what their needs are. Exactly. 
and not be paternalistic about it and assume and that's i prefer handing out the money i I like your guys's model in toronto you know um maybe you want to talk about some of your organizing at home a bit more well i work with fellow travelers um which is an organization just primarily like um, focused on helping this one encampment in toronto which is a, a large encampment at allen gardens and yeah we just raise money as best we can uh because like I said, there's a lot of money in the city. There's a lot of capital here. Um, and uh, you're trying to get it from wherever it may come from. Um, and, you know, go down to the encampment. And we just mostly put money in people's hands. Uh, just spread 20s to people. Uh, like no strings attached, no questions asked. They, uh, you know. But for the most part, like their, their responses and what we witness is that they immediately go to like help one another uh, and kind of share that resource. Cause a lot of the time I can't, I don't bring enough money. Like we don't raise that much money. We're a very small organization. We raise a lot less than, you know, our organization. <laughs> I was, was going to say, is that really an excuse or are you just not hustling enough? Yeah, both. <laughs> yeah. I need to get my Twitter engagements way up. Um, but yeah, we go down and we just like put 20s in people's hands and we just try to build relations with folks who are living there and the community that has been there and ask, you know, what what they need. And if we can kind of organize to go buy it or pick it up, bring it down uh, or whatever, you know, I can, you know, I hit up the, my network of farmers this week to get some on a rake, uh, you know, stuff like that. Just like whatever ways we can help um that people like ask for down there and that was my work you know before coming down and then seeing the list of like things that were needed for coming down for sundance um made me first start thinking about this you know all the 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 material conditions being you know eerily the same in uh the encampment here in in toronto and in a big city encampment and like this this reservation in in south dakota you know like uh, and I was wondering why the asks were like very similar, you know, like, you know, the tarps and the Gatorade and water. Well, uh, and I think confusion might come when, you know, you, these people have a house, right? You know, they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not homeless. Right. You know? What is a home without electricity, without water, without a roof? Yes. <laughs> is that really a home? That's the reality of home ownership on the reservation yeah and when the like annual income for a family living in that said home is like i don't know what you said like two thousand yeah okay two thousand right um yeah so you know started to think about like how settler colonialism you know doesn't end up all that different you know looking in the city in an encampment and like on on a res, uh, but like the community aspect of it was very similar also in that people are very willing to share with one another and that like, you know, they're to live there outside of, you know, the, the way that the state around you wants you to live, uh, in some way does produce like a, you know, a need for that community. So it's nice to witness it like down there and especially at Sundance people, I guess, were are especially like, uh, 
predisposed to share and like be grateful with one another and stuff. You know, if someone asks you for something, you give it to them, uh, basically. Um, or even just kind of like tells you it looks nice. <laughs> you might want to think about, you know, just sharing and you get stuff back. And that's like the feeling, you know, that if you, if you do that, you will get it back. Uh, well, we had one cousin come literally my cousin. I met him on Twitter and then, uh, come to find out we're cousins his yeah. their their grandpa uh, grandpa's brother named me which is <laughs> very funny oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah and so i invited them based on that relation i was like you know come see what we're doing yeah because that's that's my thing is you you don't believe me just come see just come see it you know i they'll they'll explain it way better than i can and I think you as a Marxist will understand what I'm seeing. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, I, wish, if, I wish them and Cup were on the on the podcast with us because I'd well, love to hear I their side. They they don't want to be very public, I guess. Right. And so I'm hoping to get their perspective into the zine. Um sure, that sure, said, sure. um what what were we just saying? We were talking about oh, oh um they came with a skirt. That's it. Never Sundance before, but they were going to Sundance that year. Um, they had just been at a previous one um, the year before and pledged to do it this year. Um, so they came to ours and, uh, you know, everybody, I mean, just fucking hooked him up. I mean, like a couple skirts, dream catchers, eagle feathers, sage, for you know, like everything they needed was provided for them. You know, we made uh, tobacco ties together in a way that was, you know, in line with tradition, but challenged it, you know, which was interesting to me. Um, and I really appreciated that perspective there. Um, so I, I hope to platform their perspective more, um, especially with the maroonage aspect, which is for a later episode, I think, for sure, um, since we're, you know, headed up to two hours. Um, is there anything y'all would like to add that we didn't get to talk about? You know, uh, I have one more story that I want to talk about, about my Chinupa journey, but that's about it. Uh, I just remembered, uh, the whole thing with the band council, they were supposed to give everyone $5,000 and then they were like, nah, fuck you. I've told that story so many times. Well, even that. So yeah, everybody in the tribe was supposed to get five grand. Um, but the council said, you're going to drink yourselves to death. And so everybody in the tribe became an alcoholic and uh, racist as fuck. Right. Um, (laughs) And then instead it got dropped down to two grand and then white ranchers got 10 because white people live on the reservation and they get to benefit from our shit too. Crazy enough. Wow. Oh, we didn't answer your question of uh, are white people welcome? Yeah. So do you think white people are welcome? That's an important. I sure as well. Hell felt Sure as hell felt welcome. Well, that's because we didn't tell you our plans to jump you for being an anarchist. 
And we had to jump yeah, Bargosh to get out, so they didn't want to leave. No, I didn't want to go. It was it was it was nice. And I had so much love for Yale by then. But uh Yeah, it was definitely a bittersweet uh feeling leaving there, that's for sure. Um Yeah, we I mean we had just in this like very like communal thing and been, you know, trying to I've been like slowly getting back in relation with like my own culture and like, you know, you know meeting all these people and, and and then like going back and driving like 14 hours days alone in the car. I wasn't even like, I couldn't even like listen to music. I was just like, I just want to be lonely now. <laughs> it was hard to leave. Uh, yeah, I also really uh, enjoyed hanging out with your grandma and your aunt. Did the, did the dishes for Vanessa and Alfred uh, one morning after. That was right after we slept in there. I was like, I need to do something for them for letting me freaking sleep in their living room uh and yeah just hung out and chatted and yeah i felt like i could be in my own aunt or uncle's uh kitchen it was yeah it was very warm <laughs> very like i said i can't wait to go back and do more work out there and like we're all white and they invited us to their wedding i don't think uh I don't think that happens if white people aren't welcome, you know? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I want to say white people welcome, and Romanian white people, super welcome. Come on down. Thank you all for listening. I hope you got a little understanding, I guess, from the eyewitness accounts of the project that... I'm at least engaged in, and the Chunkaluta Network is helping support um, from the Marxist-Leninist position. Um, there's a lot of reasons we came to this conclusion, as you can tell. There's a long history of investigation of the country's conditions. And so this is the first, I guess, solo test run I've ever done because I was part of the Red Nation before this, and so you know, starting my own org or whatever is weird, because um, it feels like you know, splitter, you know, <laughs> from Monty Python. People's front of Judea. The people's front of Judea. Splitters. We're the people's front of Judea. Oh, I thought we were the popular front. People's front. Whatever happened to the popular front? Man? He's over there. Splitter. Anyway. This is a dumb joke, I guess. No, sorry. Life of Brian, really? Okay, wow. No, oh, I was so just muted. It was funny. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the old man agrees. So, <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it definitely feels like that in ways, but, you know, my intentions are um, to represent the masses to the Communist parties because, really, they're not studying the masses they're studying what they see online 
that's not real life. They're not fans of history, but you gotta be. <laughs> Did you tell that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just wanted uh, to get a laugh from you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a good example, though, would be with the uh, BLM protests and everything popping off in Minneapolis. Uh, I think that took a lot of, uh, you know, white leftists by like complete surprise it kind of like was something that should have been like considered and organized and and built like those bridges like you were you know talking about building uh, these connections and ties like for when like contradictions snap in such a spontaneous way and i mean it seems spontaneous to people that you know haven't had like their ear to the ground on like uh protests against the police for like in my case like most of my life um and even i was like wow i didn't expect it to get that heated you know and i think it was probably also compounded by you know covid and so much stuff being shut down people being desperate more than other times it was like a a perfect example of you know the contradictions of capitalism like coming to a head and and the western left or at least the american left uh really failed to to organize and mobilize on that one like those those uh, that was a major L. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so to interrupt this with a totally random non sequitur, my brain while you're talking, because I was like, You're in you're in California. Haha, <laughs> sublime. And then I thought of April twenty ninth, nineteen ninety two. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then I was like I was like, man, I wonder when Columbus arrived because you could be like 1492 <laughs> Columbus arrived on the shores where were you? Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Yeah. So anyway. But um yeah, I think there was probably a I mean even more of a failure of like the white left especially during like the 90, uh, 92 uh, riots, like, yeah. Uh. Well, those are similarly sized failures, too. I mean, I want to say Floyd was the same size, but it could have been. I guess I don't know the statistics, really. Um, but I think the intersectionality of it uh, was definitely more observant, I guess. It was easier to see um, than back in 92 where like even you know uh sublime you know talks about the various ideas of who the riots were for you know yeah. when in reality it's the poor it's always the poor you know one specific example he you gives know. is the lady fucking going and getting some diapers well and then him and his friends you know looting a liquor store but Saw a lady getting some. No, I mean, <laughs> sorry. 
Anyway, you can't resist it. You sang Sublime when we were in the discourse. Japanese restaurant in the Mall of America. You also couldn't resist singing it when it was playing there. <laughs> You're so consistent. I do love that about yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> the worst opinion sometimes, though. Um, <laughs> anyway, so thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this dynamic. I hope you liked hearing about um the aftermath of this sundance trip and just where people's minds are um besides my own um i feel like a lot of times you know the org is about what's in my head versus what's the collective thoughts and so i'm just glad to have this as the first example of you know future podcast productions as well as hearing more monologuing from me as well to get into the fucking it's just my thoughts again but uh you know i do i'm glad that other people have seen what's happening um because so much is just you know it's photos a lot of times it's short videos you're never quite sure what's totally going on with some projects. And so, you know, we plan on filming a bunch of the shit going on, at least on Pine Ridge, which is public. And then the network is more extensive than that. Um, And as things become more solidified and safer to uh, publicize, we obviously will. Um, That being said, if you want to, reach any one of us and ask questions. My Twitter is at the colonial marks. There we go. (laughs) I had to think about that for a moment. And then the networks or the organization's Twitter is chunkaluta org. Um, Then we're also on a bunch of fucking social media. Now as the social media team begins to form, um, and, you know, keep a lookout. We're going to be releasing TikTok shorts of Mark's Madness shit and Decolonial Buffalo audio and shit. Um, you know, so it should be pretty awesome um, and large project that is going to be a lot more accessible in the coming years. Thank goodness. Um, I like to say within the next 10 years, the Ochete Shekawain will be independent again. But that might be a little cocky. Um, Inshallah. But I'd like to imagine that's an easy estimate. <laughs> Inshallah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, what's y'all's social medias and stuff you want to plug? Uh, I want to plug the fellow travelers that I work with and Eco Just Food Network. Um, that's what the handles are probably on Twitter or Instagram. Um, yeah, those are my organizations you could probably reach me if you you know go through go through those channels yeah yeah that's what we're doing if you're in like in toronto or ontario or canada even or even around the border hit me up uh my twitter is at call me chip uh don't reach out to me uh no that's a joke i'm i'm nice usually uh but that's pretty much all i have to plug Mine is uh, at Refuse Raccoon on Twitter or Dancing with the Sars. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm not really that active there. My middle name is actually Nikolai. I don't think I ever told That's you. Amazing. I don't know how I never told you this because you go by Nikolai so much, but I called you Nikolai in my head before meeting you. That's great. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful. but with an AE on the end. Out. I, I had to slowly figure out what his name was. I didn't just ask like a normal person. Oh, yeah, that was like that's we awkward as at fuck. least five or six cities away. Drogosh and I were like, <laughs> how do you say your name? Yeah, we sent voice notes in advance. Cause, but because we both have like names that people need to know how to pronounce. In I advance. know how careful he was being, okay? <laughs> to be fair, that's, and that, that's so very awkward. appreciative. No, it wasn't awkward. We, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't you're know. allowed to make that choice. I don't know, Chip. Was it awkward? I don't usually call people by their names very much, so uh, <laughs> oh, it took me so a weird. Yeah, you, you. I think you actually introduced me <laughs> as uh, Nick or something when I got to the res. The Mexican. Okay, and then. Huh? That's why your cousin called Jason for <laughs> like the first like oh, three God, or four yeah. days. It's a Mexican guy around. Yeah, there's a Mexican guy around. <laughs> I think it was the hat, the the straw hat and the long hair. Yeah, that that was pretty funny. I'm dead. Oh my god. We also have a Patreon in the show notes, Chocoluta Network, where you could support um this monthly content creation, our transcriptionists paycheck, um, my own survival fund that I would like to increase, please. I'm about to have another child, but that's up to y'all. I would also like the transcriptionists rent and groceries to be paid, but, um, you know, whatever. Uh, there's also... The GoFundMe right now for the winter drive, probably. And we're probably still raising money for the wheelchair on the previous GoFundMe. Both are going. Um, this new one's ran by like Max Phillips or something. He's just somebody who goes to the Sundance that saw what we were doing at Sundance and during the winter. Um, and was like, why can't somebody on the res do that? And I was like, yes, exactly. Why can't? You know, and so thank God, you know, now people on the res might be able to assert a position over grifters like Lakota Man One and shit like that. Anyway, there's also emails. Uh, Bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com is my personal. Chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com was the orgs network. I guess I don't know what the official one is now. I think it's at Proton. <laughs> Oops. Um, but I think that's everything we want to plug. And I think that's everything we need to plug. So remember, you got to be a fan of history. You got to be. Hey, 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 hey,
Hey.